Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 12 from the book Return to the Hiding Place by Hans Poulet. Chapter 12, In the Shadow of His Wings. Back at the Bayet, it was almost completely dark inside the angel's den, and no one dared move. They heard shouting and commands and the shuffling of boots in Tante Kess's bedroom, and a Gestapo officer shouted at Tante Kess, Sick? Nonsense! Get up and get downstairs! Quick, quick! After a few minutes, the sounds diminished, and a dreadful silence, except for occasional vague noises, pervaded the room. Shivering, someone whispered, Who's here? The four regulars, Tante Martha, Mary, Yusi, and Ronnie, had made it, along with two resistance workers, Arnold and Hans. Arnold led a leader of the Harlem Nord area of the L.O., had provided the ration cards for many at the Bayet, but the L.O. believed Tante Kess had become a dangerous contact, and Arnold had warned Tante Kess, one of these days they'll get to you, and then you'll, you've had it. Arnold, she had answered sincerely, angels protect this house. But he had insisted irreverently, sure, Tante Kess, but one of these days, one of the angels will take a nap, and then it will be too late. Arnold had arranged with uh, Tante Kess not to come to the Bayet anymore. You can get ration cards through a contact, he told her. Write down what you need and put it in an envelope. Write a capital A on the top right-hand corner of the envelope and get it to one of our contacts in the neighborhood. Couriers will collect the envelope and deliver what you need to your home the next day. But this too, but this was too time-consuming and approach for Tante Kess, so on February 28th, one of her messenger girls came straight to Arnold's home with the message, we have some people from the region north of Amsterdam at the Bayet now. They need ration cards, so please come and bring some with you. Arnold went there on his bike against his better judgment. He gave Tante Kess the ration cards, then went to the front room on the first floor to see if other underground workers were there. They liked to exchange information in underground publications. Someone might have the latest issue of John Muntindry in exchange for a copy of Tro. Just after Arnold sat down, the door opened and someone shouted, Beat it, all of you! Gestapo! Arnold rushed up the winding staircase and into the small room where Tante Kess had returned to bed, sick, when she jumped up and held open the door of the closet for the others. Arnold dived into the small opening behind them. Once inside, he heard the panel slide down and the door close. There were six people in that small space without food or drink. It was a mess. Behind the false wall, they heard the sound of the doorbell and now two well-known code um, 
three short rings and one long one that identified a trusted underground contact. They knew those unsuspecting friends were walking right into the arms of the Gestapo. Later that evening, they detected the sounds of a large group of people leaving through the alley. In time, they realized there was a guard in the house and that it was changed on a regular schedule. Each new shift searched the house once the house again, determined it seemed to find the Jews they knew were hidden there. The tension in the hiding place was incredible, and it was impossible not to make some noise. Now and then, they had to change positions to be as comfortable as possible under the circumstances. Some sat for a while, then stood to stretch while or when they became stiff. Ronnie had a cold and tried to smother the noise of his coughing in a blanket, but they were still afraid the guards would hear it. The guards came upstairs often and searched, and each time those in the hiding place held their breath. They, they took turns sitting with their back pressed against the sliding panel so there would be no difference in the sound when the guards knocked against the wall. They found... They followed the chimes of the St. Bavo church to count to the hours that seemed to drag past ever so slowly. The men especially were hungry, but they had only a few crackers and no water at all. Before the raid, the regulars had agreed to keep a supply of food and water in the hiding place at all times, but apparently, to their sorrow, they hadn't kept up with it. Because of cold and hunger and apprehension, sleep was impossible. At one point, two guards came into Tante Kess's room, perhaps alerted by a noise. They knocked on all the walls and seemed to close in on the false wall. When they started to break up the floorboards, the hideaways thought, This is the end for us. But the construction of the false wall was perfect. The floorboards ended at the false wall, suggesting the outer wall of the house, and uh, soon the guards replaced the boards and left. In such moments of extreme tension, Yusi caused great concern to the others. When he began to pray, half aloud in Hebrew, I will trust in Adonai, who can harm me. They silenced him with a pillow. Hush, Yusi, your noise will betray us. The situation became worse with each passing hour. They found a sheet, shredded it, and used it to urinate on so the fluid wouldn't soak down the walls. They used a small container with a cover to relieve themselves, but one night Ronnie kicked it over. He didn't have to tell anyone. The awful smell told it all. After the, that situation, after that, the situation quickly became unbearable. But the quiet strength of those who truly lived their faith made the others turn to them. Tante Martha and Yusi both provided a source of new power with their assurance that if you trust the Almighty, He will be with you and He will protect your soul. Their confidence wasn't shallow, a well-meant encouragement. It came from inner conviction and they calmed the others in their anxiety and despair. When Wednesday broke without an ex ex 
expectation of release, they realized that they might have to consider a breakout. The regulars knew the layout of the house and suggested an escape to the house next door. It would involve a three-foot jump from the flat roof into the gutter that separated both houses. But Arnold saw that the w women couldn't make it, and he succeeded in postponing the escape. They finally agreed that if no escape arri or no rescue arrived before evening, they would go for it late that night. Arnold was convinced that help was being arranged from the outside and didn't like the risk their own action would entail, so they continued throughout the third day, hungry, thirsty, nervous, and afraid. Meanwhile, Arnold's father, a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church in Harlem, chaired a church council meeting on Monday evening. During a break, he anxiously told a few trusted deacons, Our son hasn't come back from a visit to the Bay this afternoon. Providentially, one of those men was Mr. Hoek, the con contractor who built the false wall. Immediately, he told the worried father, I know the Ten Booms house in detail because I built their hiding place. It will be very difficult for the Gestapo to find it. So Pastor Sertsema went to the house of a reliable policeman, John uh, Overzet, one of those who continued to help fugitives until they had to go into hiding themselves. Sertsema had often helped Overzet during those war years, and now the pastor himself needed help. Quietly, Overzet went to Inspector D. Root at the police station, a reliable officer who had, was in charge of the duty schedules for Dutch policemen. On the first day, the Gestapo guarded the premises so he could arrange nothing. Tuesday evening, however, the Dutch police were told to take guard duty starting the following day. Normally, this would have been carried out by unreliable policemen who were as bad and dangerous as the Gestapo itself. Inspector de Groot, however, succeeded in changing the duty schedule in such a way that Jan Overzet and a colleague came on duty at the Bayet on Wednesday afternoon at 4. Hoek had given Overzet the blueprint of the wall, but even with that they couldn't find any evidence of the secret room in Tante Kessa's bedroom. In the hiding place, the group heard the noise of footsteps approaching and then someone searching the place. Next they heard someone calling, Sertsema, Sertsema, Arnold felt like shouting for joy. Nobody could possibly know there might be a Sertsema in the hiding place except for one of us, because in the resistance he was known only by the code name of Arnold. It's okay, he whispered as he pushed up the panel. Overzet put his head through the opening, but pulled it back immediately because the odor was so overpowering. The group came out one by one, staggering and dizzy, and hardly believing they were being re rescued. The policemen gave them water to relieve their terrible craving for something, anything liquid. 
Yusi was the first to get a swallow and began to praise God in a loud voice. Shh, Yusi, they urged him. Don't betray us after all this. The policeman led the two resistance workers up the short staircase onto the flat roof, then into a gutter and through a skylight into the attic of the house next door. They managed to get to the ground floor unnoticed, then slipped through the empty shop out to the street and on to freedom. Then the policeman took the Jewish escapees to the parlor to wait until it was dark enough for the underground to take them to their new hiding places. The policemen stayed with them, guns ready in case unwanted visitors came. Around 7 p.m., they guide, guided the four escapees down the staircase and through the side door and out into the alley. Resistance workers then led the four refugees safely to new shelters. A miracle had happened. Next time, Chapter 13, At the Mercy of the Nazis.